0: Welcome to the second episode
1: of BAI Communications' Smart Communities podcast, where we speak with business leaders and industry experts to ask them what the future holds for connectivity. In this episode, we're excited to be joined by Rob McCann, founder of Clear Cable Networks and president of the Hamilton Technology Centre. Interviewing him is Michael Stevens, BAI Canada's VP of Business Development, talking about bridging the digital divide and the opportunities to build infrastructure for ubiquitous coverage across smart communities.
0: Well, hello, my name is Michael Stevens, I'm the Vice President of Business Development for BAI Communications Incorporated in Toronto, Ontario. And with me today is Rob McCann. Rob is uh, the founder of Clear Cable Communications, and he's also the president of the Hamilton Technology Center. So thanks, Rob, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I know you've been in the industry for quite a while, Rob. We've known each other, I think, over close to 20 years now, if not longer. Um, and we've seen personally you and me have seen a lot of changes in the telecom marketplace um, what are the biggest changes you've seen in the tele- telecom marketplace in the past five years and how do you think it impacts municipalities and other communities on a go forward basis
1: so i've been telling people that what's old is new again and and ever since the advent of the cable modem We've seen a 50% compound annual growth rate in the consumption of internet access every year 50% more and this trend sort of continued until around 2018 where I jokingly say we reached peak streaming and we've all watched everything that there was to watch and the growth started to come down, but then along came the pandemic and restored us back to the industry norms. So that type of compound annual growth rate really drives a tremendous amount of investment. And I think many of our government funding programs or even potential operators overlook that it's not just about deploying broadband into a market, but it's continually reinvesting and growing as the demand continues to grow.
0: Uh, that's a good point. It's something that there's a lot of conversation. Um, the CRTC in Canada, for example, came out with their 5010 mandate. But for a lot of us in the industry, we don't think that's adequate based upon exactly what you said. It's, there's continued massive amounts of bandwidth growth occurring. And um, personally, I've always, when I've talked to municipalities communities, I've always talked about the fact that without fiber, you're always going to be in an upgrade cycle. Um, What's your message to municipalities when it comes to how they should they be planning, and even telecom companies who may be supporting them, and how they should be planning for that growth on a continuous basis? Sure.
1: Truthfully, everything starts with the GIS right? Each market is going to be different. And yes, you're right. We would love to strive to have fiber to every home, every business. But the reality is that there may be geographic challenges. There may be economic challenges. There may be policy challenges that prevent us from using one single solution. And instead, we have to develop these hybrid approaches, combinations of wireless and fiber and Leo. And and that, I think, is really the message for anyone who's looking at servicing new markets today, or particularly rural markets.
0: Going back to um, municipalities and communities, a lot of the conversation over the past few years has been about smart communities. Um, And it's a hard definition to lay down. There's been a lot of people who say we want to be a smart community, but then when you ask them what that consists of, they can't really define it very well. Um, from your point of view, what does a smart community look like?
1: We see that people like to define smart communities in terms of bits and bytes and technology, but my opinion really is that smarter communities aren't necessarily as much about the technology as they are about building the appropriate policies and procedures to be able to deploy technology. For instance, we know that we're going to need to attach things to more stuff in our cities, but we might not necessarily have the policies I I deal with municipalities who don't allow municipal property to host things like small cells. And I think that that needs to change. Once we can get past those policy changes and, and make it a more friendly environment for technology, telecom and broadband to be deployed more ubiquitously in our city, then we can move on to how can we use that technology to actually improve the lives of citizens? If we're deploying technology for the sake of deploying it, or for surveillance, or for enforcement, or or the things that don't actually contribute to the benefit of society, then you know we're kind of missing the point. And, and that's the challenge. It's not necessarily about what you deploy, it's how you use it and, and the benefit that it provides.
0: Hey, there's a bit of a call there I, that I have a lot of conversations with municipalities, and it's very much related to that. Um, I've had a chart that I've used for probably to, over 20 years now. Like this is a simple triangle, but I, so many commu, um, conversations I have in municipalities, they're, they're looking, they're trying to solve what I call a point solution. I need to do waste management monitoring or I need to do, I need to get broadband to this underserved community. And what they fail to understand is I use the analogy of a computer. The cheapest, the cheapest thing to run on the computer is typically 90% of the time the application itself but it's the application that has the value. But unless you own the computer, you can't run the application. And it's the same thing when it comes to smart communities. I, a lot of conversations I have with them is related exactly to that. It's like they want to solve X, Y, Z problem, but they don't look at it from a holistic point of view. You have to have that base level infrastructure in place and being deployed. And once you have that in place, then you can start thinking about what applications and how you add the value to society that way. But if you don't have that holistic view up front, you're always going to go to down dead end paths. Within that though, there's going to be a lot more applications. Obviously, there's going to be this back and forth a bit. You know, the chicken and the egg. We need the broadband, but then we need the applications to support that broadband deployment. What services do you believe will make the next generation of digital services, 5G, et cetera, compelling for residents and citizens? I know this has been a big part of the conversation. Um, A lot of carriers are struggling with this. How do you monetize 5G? Um, What are the use cases that are going to justify the deployment of 5G or more particularly small cells and that densification to bring more mobility type services? Have you seen or are aware of what services do you believe will drive that next generation of digital services and the deployment of those networks?
1: I don't think that there's a very specific service. What I do think, though, is that the notion of ubiquitous and consistent access to the network is what's going to be important. You know, it was more than a decade and a half ago that I heard Nick Hamilton Piercy from Rogers Cable say people want what they want, where they want, when they want. And you know, as much as today we think, well, of course they do, that was a pretty stunning revelation and it hasn't gone away when we see folks gather for big giant events they want to be able to you know snap pictures or videos of the things they're seeing and post those out to their friends they want to be able to text message back and forth with each other they want to film live video and broadcast it to everybody else that's out there and and i think that that is really what is the value add for folks, that they are able to do that everywhere. And today we just have big pockets where that's not feasible and it's not possible, but that consumer demand will continue to drive the need to expand the network out and meet
0: that demand. What do you see as the biggest opportunity in building a competitive and leading edge communication network across cities and municipalities?
1: probably the biggest opportunity for any municipality or any community is the ability to attract and retain their citizens right to have a good community or vibrant community we need to have people there and unfortunately you know over earlier times in this century Young people felt the need to leave their communities in order to go to the big cities to be able to get opportunities for work or for growth or, or, you know, entertainment and what we're finding now is that that's not necessary. Right. If I can do everything that I need to do online, if I can work from a, an environment that I'm more comfortable in or that's closer to, to where I came from, if I can get the entertainment that I need from that, then I'm willing to stay in that location. And, and that, you know, is more sustainable. It grows local communities. It makes things more interesting and, it, and improves the, the health and lifestyle, the, the work life balance of the citizens. And I think that that's really the opportunity. If you can enable, that type of service, then you're able to, to get everyone uh, to stay.
0: And and then so that's the end goal. But what's the biggest challenge to overcoming that? How do we achieve that?
1: Yeah, it, it's the biggest challenge is totally inclusion, right? Because today we might decide to go off and deploy some broadband network and we'll run right down a street, but we'll, for whatever reason, decide to skip the side street that goes off and you know picks up three houses. Well, when we do that, what we create are these islands of discontinuity, right? Places where people can't get connected. And because now there's a small number of homes in a really tiny location, it's not likely that they're ever going to get built with the connectivity that we need. So we need to have, whether it's municipal programs or or provincial, state or, or federal programs that say, no, we need to cover everything. We need to make sure that when we run down Street A, we also make the turn down Street B, and we include everyone. And that really is going to be the key to ensuring that the community is well served.
0: Are there parts of the world or country or even specific municipalities that you've seen taking the lead lead in building a connected community? Yeah,
1: there's really two examples that I've seen that I'm particularly enamored with. And, And one of them is in the Netherlands where there is a high level of community engagement. Certainly in that country, they have large operators or large service providers much like we do here in Canada, but they also have this other group of folks where the communities themselves stepped up as a group of citizens to be able to define the requirements of connecting all of themselves together with fiber optics. And it turned out that the, the large bank, the Bank, had an infrastructure fund available for being able to fund these broadband builds. So they were very successful in building these community-based networks and getting the connections where the connections needed to be from, from a grassroots level. And I think that that's a key message. In anything that we do, in whatever country we happen to be in, community engagement is going to be the differentiator to encouraging that investment to continue, no matter who provides the investment. And the second one that I've seen that that's kind of compelling is in Taiwan. I had an opportunity to visit Tainan City, where they're using a digital smart card that you know is the the ID, so to speak, for the citizens, and that card can be used for a myriad of things. For convenience sake if they need to go to you know get their blood pressure checked or if they want to rent a bicycle or if they would like to get a a a pollution sensor for free from the government and and what's compelling about this is that once you're able to aggregate this level of information you can start to draw these correlations are there people with high blood pressure who are not riding bikes in areas of high pollution for instance, and, and then you can drive public policy around being able to increase the, you know, the life uh, benefits for the individual citizens. So you know that message is that municipalities or governments have a role to play in being able to figure out those applications that we talked about earlier that are going to be able to enhance the quality of life for their
0: citizens. How should municipalities be viewing the role of open access providers um, like BAI? on a go forward basis. It's not, um, traditionally it's not been part of the Canadian market to a large extent. I, it's been clearly far more um, prevalent in other jurisdictions around the world. But if you were talking to municipalities about their digital future, how, how would you be positioning open access, open access players?
1: Yeah, so you're right. Open access is is really just emerging in Canada and we've been talking to several municipalities who are really looking to build these open access networks. I don't think in the Canadian context, we've actually solidified what that model quite looks like yet. You know, how do you manage things like co-ownership or co-investment? How do you build governance around it? How do you, you know, really make sure that the transaction works in a way that everybody is successful? And that still has to come. We need to work on that. But you're right, in the other jurisdictions around the world, some folks have already figured this out. I had a great opportunity to meet a fellow by the name of Edo Queldum in the Netherlands uh, he runs an operation called Kai Hadawag. and he recognized you know really early on that they had service providers who were originally telephone companies and service providers who were originally cable companies and that both of these organizations then started offering services the same as each other and and when that sort of happens they end up splitting the market so they don't you know they might chew into the tv side of the cable company or chew into the telephone side of the of the uh cable company. But it, at the end of the day, they're, they're really, you're building two networks to go to a house. And, and this is problematic because it's really not sustainable. And as they start to converge on technologies that are fiber to the home and their architectures start to look very similar, it doesn't make sense to continue digging up the streets to have two different networks. So Hadawag decided that they would build that infrastructure into the home and then lease that out in that open access model that you're talking about. And in 2015, they won a European award for broadband deployment because they were so successful. And I think that that type of model needs to be ported over to Canada. Certainly, we have a different geographic challenge. So the architectures are probably going to look a little bit different than what they look like in the Netherlands. But Definitely the idea of having municipalities invest and own infrastructure, as you pointed out earlier, just like they own water, sewers, roads, is one of these things that is a viable model for being able to deploy technology. But I think, you know, the municipalities really need to look at this carefully because they need to realize now that they're in competition for attracting investment right they, you know, everybody or a, every municipality who doesn't have access now wants it and they're trying to attract the investors and those investors are going to have a lot of choices on where they're going to to put their investments and, and that's, that's something i think they need to be cognizant of
0: and, that, and i think that's an important it almost leads in the next question which would be where are the areas of development over the next five to ten years and i think we're starting to hit on that a little bit if we if we assume we're gonna to get to a point over the next five to 10 years, where we do have hopefully close to ubiquity and the availability of broadband, where are there going to be the areas of the development in telecom over the next five to 10 years, or maybe even beyond that?
1: Yeah, and truthfully, I think we've already, you know, really beat this up through the whole p- whole discussion today it is about setting the appropriate municipal policies those need to be developed it's about getting community engagement because we need to have the community on side for the things that we need to do and it's about developing those governance models or the way to interact between municipalities and service providers or open access providers like BAI to be able to package up the right services to make sure that we have that ubiquitous access everywhere and and that really is going to take a collective effort to pull off. And we just don't have the models yet, but we can get there.
0: I was looking at some stats on um, rural, and we always think, again, rural, you know, and this is one of the challenges I have when I have a lot of conversations with people, and, and let's be frank, um, telecom people have a tendency to be very urban-centric. Um, I grew up on a farm. I know you live out in Stony Creek, Ontario, which is on the edge of Hamilton, but still pretty rural. So you're very familiar. And a lot of your customers are rural customers. And I think there's a lot of lack of sensitivity about farmers or businesses. And these businesses are, um, there's a forecast that's forecasting this amount of data that farms are gonna require is gonna increase tenfold over the next 10 years, probably more than tenfold and the applications farms are going to be u- utilizing for, for deployment for like crop management and, and um, drone spraying, automated vehicles, already, we already, already have automated tractors in a lot of locations. That demand is going to be driven by wireless technologies, but the wireless technology is not going to be the transport backhaul technology. It's, it's got to have to come to pretty close, that wire that fiber is going to have to come pretty close to that farm to support all those applications that are being driven wirelessly on that farm.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just comes back to ubiquitous access, right? I think today we underestimate the value of what we used to call always on internet, right? In fact, we have a whole generation that doesn't understand that the internet just wasn't always on, that we had to connect to it. And could you imagine your daily life today if every time you wanted to do something online, you had to make a connection? So always on was this huge shift that enabled all sorts of wonderful things to develop, including stuff like online streaming and and video conferencing and ubiquitous connectivity is that same shift. It's going to be able to enable the applications that we can't even fathom yet today and to be able to, you know, connect everyone
0: together. Rob, I very thank you very much for your time today. I think it was a great conversation and to your point, continued investment, but ubiquity is required and we need to ensure that we get ubiquitous access. And when we're thinking about that, we need to get ubiquitous access from both a wireline and wireless point of view, because they're going to go hand in hand. They're no longer going to be separate infrastructures. They're going to be a ubiquitous infrastructure. And if we're going to ensure the success of the economic development of our communities moving forward, that must be done hand in hand with tight, tight um, coordination with the local communities to make this happen. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here.